All right. So we're, I, think, I think we will wrap up Acts today, uh, but we're definitely not going to be done with Acts uh, since the primary character of the last half of the book of Acts is the author of the, the letters that we will now be going through. So we will come back to uh, specifically Paul and his, his story, his biography, as it's told in the book of Acts, because that will play significantly into our reading of the letters. But I do want to start uh, we, back in chapter 13. It's kind of where we left off. And though that may sound daunting, we'll, we'll make quick work of the, the last half. Um, I'm going to save some for later. I, I'll probably do next week a intro to Paul, uh, intro to his life. So we'll, we'll be back in the last half of Acts. Uh, but technically, this is the last week that we are going through Acts. Um, this week, I'll just get this out of the way. You can start reading through Romans, okay? Um, and it, it, it's great to read Romans with the story of Acts in your head. It starts to make a lot more sense. Uh, if you come at it cold from sort of a, you know, dis, uh, a detached perspective, it's, it's going to not really make sense. You're like, well... What does this have to do with salvation? Why is he talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and everything? Uh, but if you read through Acts and then read Romans, you understand the situations that he's addressing a lot more. Um, okay, so in chapter 13 of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned, after a period of fasting and praying, they are commissioned and sent out. And this is Paul's first missionary journey. And if I there it is. Uh, they are currently in um, Antioch up here. So Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And in this book, the ends of the earth. Go all stretch all the way to Rome eventually, up here. So you see all the ground that's covered. By the way, Asia here, that's Turkey. So that's not like China <laughs> or anything. Um, so don't get confused. That's that's Turkey. <clears throat> also, watch out for two Antiochs. Remember, there's an Antioch up here and an Antioch here. This is the capital, really the, the home base for the Gentile church. So Paul and Barnabas, they're praying and fasting here, and they are sent off. Okay? And the first missionary journey runs from uh, 13, chapter 13 through chapter 14, verse 25. And if you want to go to 1425. So the, the, the places they hit on their first journey, they go to Cyprus. And this is, so they sail to Cyprus. Um, a guy named John goes with him, and then he goes back <laughs> to Jerusalem after Cyprus. Um, that becomes an issue later. Uh, but then they come, go up here to uh, Iconia, Iconium, Antioch in, in Pisidia. Um, where else do they go? Yeah, Iconium, there it is. 
And the interesting thing here is that the first place they go is to the synagogue in all these places. They try and hit the Jewish synagogue. I mean, Paul is a Pharisee. He, he is a Jew of Jews. And uh, they go, and they, he's still trying to preach the gospel through the synagogue. Right? He knows that he's the, gospel, he's, the, he's the apostle to the Gentile, and he's going and preaching in the synagogues that God is now bringing the Gentiles in. And some are really excited about this. Some don't know what to think. Some are absolutely furious at this. And actually, the word is, is jealous. They get jealous. Right? The Jews in these places get jealous, and they, they will run them out of town. And try and, it, they, they poison the minds of people who are starting to believe. Okay, so the opposition here that Paul faces on this first missionary journey is largely from the Jews. Um, and it's interesting here that there are believing Jews and unbelieving Jews at this part. So what that means is there's something different now than just adherence to the law or adherence to the customs that is that is identifying the people of God. At the very least, there's believing and unbelieving Jews. Okay? And then there's the Gentiles that are coming in. But you get things like in, in verse 14 too, um, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So when Paul goes and preaches, it's, it's scandal. Okay? And the Jews don't want to do with it. They get run out of town. And they even go so far as to like follow them from town to town and try and ruin what they're doing. <laughs> try and ruin the, the preaching of the gospel. So all this is happening. Uh, Paul gets stoned um, in, in uh, Lystra. Where's Lystra? I don't see it on here. But somewhere in this area. He doesn't go too far on this first journey. He gets stoned, run out of town, and, and the, the persecution just increases and increases. They sail back to Antioch. Verse 14:25. When they had spoken the word in Perga, there, uh, they went down to uh, Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. In other words, back to where they started from. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, and they remained no little time with the disciples here in Antioch. Now, what happens next is they're having to reckon with what Paul just experienced. The primary problem that Paul is experiencing is that the Jews are not on board with what God is doing with the Gentiles. A lot of the Jews are not on board. So Paul, they have, to, they have this, this is the first church council. They all go down to Jerusalem and meet together. And this is where Peter and James and, and the, the primary apostles are. So they come down, and here's the problem. Verse, in chapter 15, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? So that's the false, that's the issue. Unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others, they went uh, up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So that's the question. Um, Do you need to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses in order to be saved? Okay. Now, the reason this is important to keep in mind is because there are, there are a lot of ways of, of viewing what Paul says in his letters about this question in terms that are foreign to Paul. In other words, Paul is not going around trying to prove that you don't have to work your way to salvation. That's not really the issue, and it doesn't really apply very well. Do you see the difference? So, during the Reformation, one of the big questions was, what is the role of good works in salvation? Okay? And the Catholic Church obviously was, was abusing this idea that there are certain things you need to do in order to stay in good standing with God. Namely, pay us money, <laughs> right? Um, buy indulgences and all that. None of those questions were going on during this time. People were not wondering what role good works has in salvation. People were wondering, how do Jews and Gentiles live together under the same roof? Okay, So, this, this Jerusalem letter uh, should tell us a lot about this. All right, so here's, they have some debate, and here's what, here's what they, they, they come up with. Um... We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay, there we go. All the assembly fell silent. After they finished speaking, James said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Hey guys, listen. This seems to be what the prophets were foretelling. Verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. Now one of the problems here, and you'll see this come up both in Acts and in some of Paul's letters, is the problem is not the Jews are um, trying to... Uh, so there's a couple things. These, these, uh, these requirements are not um, like, okay, these are the most important rules. These requirements are really for Gentiles to be able to accommodate Jews. Okay? So it's basically table manners. <laughs> There's sexual immorality, um, which, well, so the reason it's dietary is because that's what was upsetting a lot of, peop- a lot of people. That's why uh, Peter opposed, or Paul opposed Peter, because he was going and eating with them. And th- no, that's why Peter criticized Paul. Hey, you're going and eating with Gentiles. And so this idea of sitting down at table 
with Jews and Gentiles, that was a big deal. Because Jews had been raised in a certain way. You don't eat, here's, you don't eat with these people. Okay? And Jesus had, had been criticized by the Pharisees for eating with certain people. And so these dietary restrictions aren't like, all right, these are the most important parts of Moses' law that you need to keep. It was, hey, Gentiles, cut the Jews some slack. They've been zealous for Torah their whole lives. So here's how you can keep the peace with them. Okay, I think we can all agree to these table manners. Now, let's go and do that. So this, is, this letter was written to, to create peace. It was not to redefine how you're saved. Right? It was beyond question that you are saved through Jesus Christ by grace. Now, how do we live together? How do we make sense of this deep tradition that we have and all these new Gentiles that don't, don't have our tradition? And even these aren't like the set-in-stone rules. He's saying, listen, we know that in every city, people have a sense, Gentiles have a sense of what's kosher and what's not. So let's just, let's just clarify it and say, hey guys, let's do this for the sake of peace, for the sake of unity, and let's call it a day. Okay? So the letter, uh, they, they write a letter and they send it out to be sent into all these different places. Verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. Wait, first of all, here's how the letter starts. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. So they're not saying, um, all right, here's what you need to do to really be saved. No one was questioned. This was not a salvation question. Okay, the, the critics were saying, no, they're not really saved. All of the apostles said, no, 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 no. These people are really saved. Now, here's what we do about that. Okay, because he addresses them. He says, hey, brothers, brothers of the Gentiles. Here's from the brothers in Jerusalem. Now, here's how we can all live in peace. Some have, have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. In other words, <laughs> these, lower, these lower class uh, guys have gotten a little too big for their britches. Right? They, have, they have orange vest syndrome. Do you know what orange vest syndrome is? Uh, it's, when you give a, it's when you give a kid an orange vest in a parking lot and he, now he believes he's the ruler of all vehicles, right? <laughs> In other words, you, you just give someone like a little bit of authority, and they end up, oh, yeah. Okay, this is what had happened. Um, these guys are, are going way beyond the instructions that we gave them. It had seemed good to us, having come to one accord, right? Unity here is crucial. We're all unified on this. We're writing this so that you also can be unified. To choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we, also, which we just saw going from town to town, being stoned and persecuted. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Okay, because this was a real issue of conscience, and, and Paul uh, comes back to this in, in 1 Corinthians and other places. Just don't eat food sacrificed to idols. 
Now, Paul himself doesn't even come out and just say that. He, he says, all right, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, now about food sacrifice to idols, it's tricky. That's <laughs> basically what he says. It's, it's complicated. So he doesn't, even, he doesn't even get this clear. So these are concessions to accommodate the work of God that has been going on. And from blood, and there's some, there's some debate about what that means. Some people think it's like the blood of the animal. Some people think it's like bloodshed, murder. Um, and from what has been strangled, which would be an animal that has not been sacrificed according to the uh, stipulations in the Old Testament. See, these food, this would, have been a, this would have been like really bad for a Jew to eat. So let's not, let's not sit down. <laughs> if you're a Gentile, let's not sit down with Jews around meat that was strangled. It's just not going to go well. Okay, so guys, just respect this for the Jews. And from sexual immorality. Um, now, that can mean broadly, but the, a commentary I read, and it makes a lot of sense, um, this is talking to the kind of sexual morality that's, that's um, spelled out very clearly in the Law of Moses. Um, so there would be like uh, all of the, all the ritual cleansings and everything. Let's follow those. Right. And also, there were in Leviticus, when it's talking about sexual purity, there are certain relations uh, of family members that you're not to engage uh, in sexual activity with. So it, this might not even be referring to broad sexual immorality, like uh, just general purity. Um, and the reason I say that, and the reason that's important, and stick with me here, I know this, is, this might be confusing, uh, but the reason that would be important is because it would assume that there was a general standard. That, that No, anyone that comes to the Lord understands that sex outside of marriage is wrong. That would be assumed. Then there's a particularly uh, mosaic brand of sexual purity. And he's saying, let's follow, let's follow that together as well. Right? So, uh, okay. Again, this was to get Jews and Gentiles to be able to live together in peace. Okay? To get these Jews to lay off, but to get the Gentiles to acknowledge some of this tradition. Here's a common ground, really, is what it's talking about. All right. So, the second... So, in other words, this letter is not about how Gentiles get saved. They're not stressing, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what you do, it's all the grace of Jesus. That's not what this letter is addressing. It's addressing the finer points of how we, how we relate to one another as, as brothers. It's beyond question that he is writing this letter to brothers who are for the Gentiles. Okay? So, so, let's see. Now, just keep this in your mind. This, this, doesn't, this, will, this will become more and more significant as we go through Paul's letters. 
Okay? So just put a mental marker here. I'm not going to spell out all the ways in which this is significant. I'm just emphasizing it here now. And as we go, you're going you're to encounter lines of thought, lines of argument in Paul's letters, and you're going to follow them a lot better. They're going to make sense. Paul's thoughts, you're going to think Paul's thought progressions a lot more clearly because of what we just talked about. Okay. Um, second journey starts in 1536. After some days, so they've been in Jerusalem, um, then they go, they go back to Antioch with this letter. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's check up on everyone over here and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it not best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. I don't want to take that pansy with me. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark. And Barnabas is always vouching for people, right? He is the great, uh, he's the encourager. He's always, he's always, no, come on, let this guy in. Which he had done for Paul himself, which is funny in this, in this little interaction. The thing, the, the guy that got Paul in good favor with the apostles, now Paul can't stand that he's receiving Mark. Funny, funny little disagreement there. Um, so they go throughout the, re, the, through Syria and Cilicia. Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Okay, and this helps so much when you read with a map because you know what's a city, what's a region. I think I've talked about that before. But it just helps so much to have a map like that. So then Paul comes to Derby and to Lystra. He meets Timothy in Derby. Where's Derby? I don't see Derby. Might be on the other map. That's all right, though. Uh, let's see. We don't have time to go through all that. So he, he takes Timothy with him. He gets up to um, Philippi. Right? And that's an important place. He, has a, he writes to the Philippians. Um, oh, before this, we have this. They, they get up here to about right here. Um, Paul wants to go east. Then the Holy Spirit says, no, go west. And that's, that opens up all of this European ministry after that. So it's been staying up here in the Asian area. Then it spills over into Macedonia, all this, this more European area. So then Philippi, they're at Philippi. Thessalonica, Philippi and Thessalonica up here. Uh, two places I'll, I want to point out also. Here's Corinth, and here's Ephesus. Okay? So this, this is the Aegean Sea, right? Okay? <laughs> Whoever knows anything about This is the Aegean Sea. So this is where Paul uh, bases his ministry now. Um, I want to read the sermon that he gives in Athens. 
Okay, so here's Athens. Because it's different than... So he's been going into the synagogues and defending that, saying that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? The Jews knew what Messiah meant. They were waiting for a Messiah. And he's going and saying, hey, listen, the Messiah, that's Jesus. And he has come. That's his, that's his message to the Jews. To the Gentiles, it's a little bit different. Okay? So, in, in, at the end of chapter 17, start in verse 16. Now, Paul was waiting for them at Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he's, he's talking to Jews. He always finds the Jews. But now, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Okay, so these were guys who weren't steeped in that Jewish thought life. These were Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, and we have writings from Epicurean philosophers and Stoic philosophers. Uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, is one of them. Um, uh, Lucretius. There's a, you know, we have these writings of Epicureans and, and Stoics. Some said... What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, that's always his primary message, Jesus and the resurrection. But he says it in one way to the Jews and he says it in another way to the Gentiles. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which, by the way, is what we're... It's Mars Hill, which is what our school is named after, this passage of Scripture. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying... May we know what you are, this new teaching is that you are presenting. Um, so, he stands in the midst of the Areopagus and says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And here's where he starts. And this is where he often starts with the Gentiles. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. Now what's significant about that is they are worshiping gods that they have made. And he's saying, listen, this is the God who made you. So he goes all the way back to the beginning. Not just back to Abraham, He goes all the way back to creation. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's not just a Jewish God. And he's not just a niche. We're talking, if it's ever rained on you, it's because of this God. If your crops have ever grown, it's because of this God. And he made from one man every nation on mankind, of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even if some, as some of your own poets have said. So he starts with God as creator. And then he says, listen, you know 
There, there, are, there are, even your own poets have a sense that there is this God. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image that is formed by the art and imagination of man. The times, right, and this is what, this is not a, this is not a, a new argument against God's existence. I mean, how many, how many atheistic arguments are, well, that's just, you know, that was just written by man. Religion is a man-made thing. Paul is saying, yeah, a lot of them are, except for this one. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So it's, it ends up with Jesus and the resurrection. But he gets there by a very different route than he would to a Jewish audience. Okay? And it's, it's good to have this presentation of the gospel in our hearts. Because this is, the key parts of it are, are really how we need to share the gospel with, with people. Um, listen, God's the God of everyone. Doesn't matter what your background is. We're not talking about a religious thing or a cultural thing. We're talking about a human thing. Humans that God created in his own image. Okay? Now, unfortunately, you know, the, the response is not very good. I mean, some, some get fixated on this idea of the resurrection. Hmm, let me, let's, let's hear a bit more about this idea of the resurrection. Um... Some joined him and believed. So some mocked. Some kind of were interested. And some believed. So we should expect no less than that as well. Some, some are just going to mock. Some might be interested, but not really in the right way. And some, some will believe. All right, now it's easy to miss the beginning of the third journey. So he goes from there, he goes to Corinth. Now he spends a long time at Corinth. And it's probably from Corinth, he's going back and forth to Ephesus. And it's probably from Corinth that he writes the letter to the Ephesians. Um, And Athens is in between the two, okay? Corinth and Ephesus are, are big, become big centers for him. But in verse 23 of chapter 18, that's where the third journey starts. So 20, verse 22 says, When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And we get a quick turnaround. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. Here, and wherever Phrygia is. Okay. And that, so he gets all the way back to here. So it's easy to miss the start of the, the third missionary journey. The second one, he kind of goes up here and then back. 
But then he goes all the way back. And guess what? He's right back at Ephesus. And he meets Apollos. Um, and he also meets... Um, well, no, Apollos. He left Priscilla and Aquila there. And then they meet Apollos when he comes to Ephesus. So there's a lot of stuff going around. Then Timothy and Titus are also back and forth between here and there. All right. So then the last thing, that goes all the way through uh, chapter 21, verse 15. One part that I would um, have you go back and read and and pray through is when he uh, speaks to the Ephesian elders. Um, When he's heading heading back, he's trying to head back, he's trying to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And he heads back, and he can't go up. So he has them come down to meet him in, in Miletus. And they come down, and his, uh, his little commissioning speech to them is awesome. Um, so I would, I would have you go back and read that. That's in chapter, the, end of, the last half of chapter 20. You just hear a lot of Paul's heart for the church, but then also these, these people that um, he's entrusting the church to. It's an awesome part. So then Paul, and this should sound familiar to us coming out of the book of Luke, he is dead set on going to Jerusalem. And he's pretty sure that what awaits him there is persecution. <laughs> it sounds familiar. Uh, and it happens at about the same time in the book of Acts as it does in the book of Luke. Okay? So this should sound familiar to us. This, this pattern of I'm setting my face toward Jerusalem. I have a mission to go on. Um, but it's a little bit different for Paul because he gets to Jerusalem and it seems like he's going to experience the same fate as Jesus in Jerusalem. But then the Spirit says, no, what's going to happen is you're going to need to go to Rome. And so Rome, you know, Paul's heart's on Jerusalem and God, by the Holy Spirit, sends him off to Rome. So it looks like he's about to die in Jerusalem. Right? I mean, he gets really close. And the Jews there, it's sounding a lot like the end of the book of Luke. Uh, but then God says, hey, listen, don't worry about it. Um, you're going to get out of here fine, and you're going to end up in Rome. So Rome becomes Paul's final, um, final destination, at least in the book of Acts. And uh, the, the way he gets there is, is interesting because he keeps appealing to his Roman citizenship. Uh, he keeps getting beaten by, by people, and then at, at just the right moment, he plays the citizen card uh, to, try and, uh, to try and get out of whatever he's, he's got himself into. Uh, all right, so that, that gets us to the end. And let me just read the, the end of the book. So he gets he, um, numerous times during his journey to Rome, he is brought up to testify. And this is a great section of scripture to read if you're looking at ways to um, write down your own testimony. Right? Because he, he includes details from his life, but he also puts the full gospel in. Every time when he's called up to the witness stand to give an account for himself, um, he includes the details of his own life, but he, he very quickly makes it about a presentation of the gospel. And he even, uh, I forget who it is, maybe Agrippa, um, <laughs> He goes, are you trying to convert me? You know, this, this judge, this pagan judge. Um, and Paul's like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
So he's just very brazen about, come join us. Uh, But by the end, he's there in Rome and meeting with Jews and Gentiles. And I'll just read the end of uh, this. By the way, he has a shipwreck right about in the book of Luke where Jesus is crucified. So there's, there's a little bit of a, there's, there's parallels between Jesus' crucifixion and the shipwreck as well. Uh, okay, I'll just read the, from verse 17 of chapter 28. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but the Jews objected. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. With regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, he, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right. And this is the last, uh, the last word on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, in Romans, we'll see this part where he says that that a hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. God's not done with the Jews, though. All right, He lived there... Two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's where we leave Paul. Now, uh, tradition has it that he was eventually uh, executed under Nero's reign, Emperor Nero. Um, But he, he continued to minister there in Rome. I like when he gets there, they're like, there's no baggage. Like, they don't know... I don't, okay, let's hear what you had to say. <laughs> He's like expecting this to defend himself. Like, we've never heard of you. I don't know anything bad about you. All right, what do you have to say? <laughs> I like that. Uh, but God clearly just opens up a spot for him. And uh, it's because of this time in Rome that um, you know, it's, it's from Rome that he writes some of his letters. And uh, the gospel begins to spread in a much larger way. Okay, so that's, that's Acts. And as we said, um, 
the, the last half of the book deals with Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and trying to reconcile that with the fulfillment of God's story from the Old Testament. Um, and so if anything, this book should tell us what a high view the early church placed on the Old Testament. It was very hard for them to, I mean, they were, they were constantly surprised at new things that God was doing. New things that the Holy Spirit was showing them. And so they were absolutely devoted to the story of the Old Testament. Even Paul, even when he goes to Rome, he finds the Jews and he's trying to explain to them. But he's saying, listen, ultimately, your heart has become hard. And so we're gonna, the gospel's going to go to the Gentiles and, and they're going to listen. Um, but it's, it's, it's vitally important to understand that the difficulty was, was trying to reconcile what Jesus was doing, what the Holy Spirit was doing, with what the Old Testament had said, with the story of God's people. And this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit came to reveal, was what God had been doing all along. Okay, And this is, they're, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak from the Old Testament what's happening now. Okay, Peter does that at Pentecost. Paul does that over and over. James does that in the Jerusalem Council. Hey, this is what was written. And it's happening now before our eyes. It's not what we thought it would look like. But it's happening. And now we see clearly. And the Holy Spirit is revealing these things. Why? Because he has been working all along. And so, one of the important things about Acts, and as we head into Romans, is we have to keep this whole story of the Old Testament in mind. The whole story of the Old Testament and the whole story of the life of Jesus and what he came to do. That all has to be part of our reading of Paul's letters. Because that was absolutely at the center of all of these conversations and debates and sermons flying around in the book of Acts. All of Israel's history, all the traditions, reconciling that with who Jesus is, what he did. And now, what does that mean for us? That is the question of Paul's letters. How does Jesus, how is Jesus the, the fulfillment of everything that God has been doing from the time of Abraham onward? Really from the time of creation, but specifically from the call of Abraham. So we have to keep that all in mind. So it might be a good idea to go back and um, not read through the whole Old Testament, but refresh yourself on the major chapters of the Old Testament story particularly the covenants that God um, made. Because, I mean, if we just open Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. You can't start Romans without having the Old Testament in mind. And he's, he's writing to people who knew what he was talking about. Okay? So Paul, I'm an apostle of what God's been doing the whole time, all through the Old Testament. Now, let's talk about how that actually plays out here and now. Those are the questions that he's addressing. Um, Romans especially, you know a lot of verses from Romans. Even if you don't know you know them, you know them. Because as soon as you hear them, you go, oh yeah, I know that one. A lot of them are out of Romans. There's one popular way of presenting the gospel that's called the Romans Road. Okay? Now, I'm not knocking any of that. But we're going to have to do a lot of unlearning to really be able to hear the book of Romans as we go through. 
Um, so what, what, what I'm going to do is, uh, and I think Billy's going to do this also at, at their church, is we're going to spend four weeks in Romans. And um, we'll compress some of the other weeks. Like we'll probably do all, all the Timothys and Titus together in a week. Maybe the, the prison epistles in a week or something like that. We'll make up time. Um, but I want to spend four weeks on the book of Romans just because in doing that, it will help us read Paul a lot better in general. Um, so, uh, not, much of a, not much of an application here from Acts other than to say that um, knowing Acts and knowing what Acts is doing with the whole Old Testament story in what Paul's main questions really were and what the controversies really were are really going to help you read the letters of Paul, which are really some of the most important documents, some of the most foundational documents um, for the church all through history. Um, so we need, to read those, we need to read those right. Uh, I wanted to, let's see, who is, who's going home for the summer? Anyone here? Just Zach? Dylan is, but he's, he, I don't see him. <laughs> the uh, peanut gallery back there both raised their hands. Uh, I want to pray for you guys today. Um, we'll pray for you in person. We'll pray for Dylan by proxy. Um, and then, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll depart after that. Anyone have anything that, that you want to mention just out of this last part of Acts before we uh, close with some prayer? The other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, it would be good to keep considering the question of what is my, have I received the Holy Spirit? What is my relationship with the Holy Spirit in these days? And, um, you know, I thought of maybe having some time in church to, to pray for the Holy Spirit. And I think we might do that, um, we, we might do that moving forward. Uh, but also, you know, your home group is a great place to really just spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit, laying on hands, praying for people. Um, so I want to encourage you to keep, keep those questions um, in your mind. And let's keep, uh, let's keep asking ourselves and asking, asking God to give us the Holy Spirit in these days. Uh, any, anybody want to share anything? All right. Zach, you got any, uh, any specific prayer requests as you go home? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you why don't you come up here? <laughs>